Brothers, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Good morning, Vintage Church. How's everyone doing this morning? Y'all doing all right? Man, well, it's so good to see you. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time or the first time in a long time, I do this every single week. We are so glad that you're here. One more time, church. Can we give it up for all of our guests? We have lots of them today. Well, you are here in a very exciting series. We're kicking off a series our teaching team's been working on for the better part of a year, really preparing you for the spiritual battles ahead. You know, we say this a lot here, but you never rise to the occasion. You always fall to the level of your preparation. Today, we're going to kick off that series. Before we do that, though, I'm going to talk to you about some exciting things happening here at Harker Heights. You might not have uh, heard about it, but we are actually getting ready to break ground on a brand new building on the east side of the property. Brand new auditorium. Pretty exciting. It is going to be a packed event. It is a registration event because we're going to have lots of different things. It will be a moment in our church's history. We're literally going to have bulldozers out there. We're going to have hard hats and shovels and desserts and fun. It's going to be a great, great thing. You're going to begin to see a transformation on this side of the property. It's going to be a construction zone. And every now and then you'll probably see me out there running a dozer just for fun. And so I want to encourage you guys to come out to groundbreaking. Just an update on our cash needed to break ground. We're really, really close. Uh, last week, it was nearly $60,000. we have closed the gap, almost $20,000. You can clap for that. That's a big, big deal. And so I want to just remind you, if you haven't jumped in or you want to know more, you haven't made a pledge, you haven't given anything, here's the truth. As a member of God's family, it is not good for me to tell you what to do, but it is good to remind you that you are called by God to do something. Ask Him what you're called to do and then obey Him. You can find out more about the project at vintage.church forward slash more. There's also some information right out here to the right. You'll see some things on that black table out there. One other thing I want to bring to your attention, we are growing like crazy. We've started a school, a leadership college. We've launched locations. What's happened is that's also caused a great need for staff. And so we have several um, opportunities. Here's kind of my feeling. My feeling is it's way better to fill positions on the church staff from people who actually love God and love our church. Uh, I think that churchstaffing.com is an assault on the body of Christ. We should be raising up our own people. So maybe you're here and you have some skills. Maybe it's in like you can really, uh, you can count really good. We need lots of people who know numbers because the numbers are getting bigger and bigger and more complicated in our accounting and bookkeeping department. We also have creative opportunities. We also have uh, ministry uh, at our locations opportunities. All of those things or there, if for some reason you might you might be thinking, man, I'd love to work for the church. Uh, the only the, here's the, a couple requirements. Number one, you have to love Jesus and you have to have a good attitude. If you have a bad attitude, need not apply. Okay, need not apply. Uh, but it's an incredible team to be a part of. I want to encourage you if you're if you're looking. There's also some places there where you can actually um, put your uh, put your application and resume on file so that when not if we need to fill certain uh, positions. But there's all different kinds of things there. I want to encourage you uh, visit. That. So today we're going to jump into week one 
Week one is really an introduction to the next seven weeks. We're together, we're leaning into Ephesians chapter six, and we're learning about the spiritual armor that God has given us to defeat the enemy. Many believers, right, they love Jesus, they get saved, but God says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They lose in the spiritual battles in their life because they're ignorant of how to actually wield what God's given them. That's what this series is going to be all about. I do want to remind you, we are um, doing something extra this series. We provided a workbook. Today's going to be on page seven, where every single week in service, we're going to be going through this workbook. It's okay. We still have notes at the door. We have notes on the app. Uh, but if you want to pick up one of these, you could actually go through it. There's also reflect and write questions to really help you take the content deeper. I think the book uh, and the workbook are 15 bucks. But listen, if you don't have the money, just take one. It's fine. Just grab one. We'll take care of it. But I want to make sure that if you want one, you can get one. Uh, so we're going to be doing this on the weekend. And then during the week, whether in your small group or maybe with your family or just with a friend, uh, we're also going to be going chapter by chapter through a book that I wrote called Battle Ready, which really talks about practical skills that, that you can apply in your life each week. So how it's going to work is we're going to do week one in the workbook, and then you're going to read chapter one in the book. Uh, this week, we're learning how to surrender control, how to surrender. That's what week one is. And so I want to encourage you to kind of do that week two. Then after week two, you'll read chapter two in battle ready with your small group, maybe with your family or just with uh, your friend or maybe just by yourself. I personally think it's way better with people, but you know what? If you're a loner, that's totally fine as well. Here's a big idea. We win spiritual battles by using the tools God has given us to overcome the enemy. We have to know our enemy. I heard something funny this week about a state trooper that sees a vehicle on the highway doing about 20 miles an hour. He pulls the car over to make sure everything's all right. When he approaches the driver, he discovers that it's an elderly woman. He proceeds to be kind and he says, excuse me, ma'am, are you all right? He asks. She replies, oh yes, officer, we're just fine. Was I doing something wrong? And the officer said, well, ma'am, you were traveling well under the speed limit. I was concerned that you might be having tr car trouble or something. But officer, the lady interrupts, interrupts, I saw a sign about a mile back that said 22, and I know I wasn't going faster than that. Chuckling, the trooper says, ma'am, that was a highway marker. This is highway 22. That's not the speed limit. The speed limit signs have MPH for mile per hour at the bottom. Oh, now don't I feel foolish, replied the lady, turning red and blushing. The officer replies, that's okay, but please try to be more careful. I would hate to see anybody get hurt. Then as he was turning to say goodbye, as he was turning, he noticed several other ladies in the back seat. He noticed for the first time that they were trembling violently and quite pale. Ma'am, what is wrong with your friends? Can I, ex ex can I take you to the hospital? She says, oh no, they're all right. We just turned off Highway 190. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. How many of you know it's important to read the signs? It's important to read the signs and it's important to understand the, the, the signs or else you're going to be terrified in the ride that is your life. You know, the Bible teaches us that as believers, we're to know the signs and we don't have to guess at them. We can actually look in the Bible and understand the times that we live in. Just like this woman misread the signs, sometimes we misread the landscape around us. We think that what we see is all there is. And this is so important for you to understand. What you see is a tiny fraction of everything that's going on around you. The Bible says one time we're gonna, one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to realize just how spiritual this world really is. The Apostle Paul highlights the spiritual war in 2 Corinthians 10, 
verses 3 and 4, he says, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Although we live in this physical world that we can see, we can taste, we can touch, we can feel, we can hear, we don't, well, we don't wield weapons of this physical world since the weapons of our warfare are not of this flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. Strongholds. When we as believers engage in spiritual battle, we don't just fight with the weapons of this world. We fight with much more powerful weapons in the Spirit. We don't fight with nuclear bombs, machine guns, army tanks, and nunchucks. Okay? We have other weapons. Now, physically, those wars may be going around. God does not teach believers to be pacifists when it comes to protecting one's life, liberty, right, and property. Those are biblical ideas, not American. However, we've got to understand that for us to win this side of heaven, we have got to see and understand as believers the signs. We've got to understand where we're at. Paul in Ephesians 6 shows us how we can be protected from every attack and onslaught of the enemy, specifically by putting on the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 11, or 10 through 11 says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord. I wouldn't say Lord. We have to be strengthened by the Lord. We need his vast strength. Then how does that happen? He tells us the requirement. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. As we talk about knowing your enemy, as we pivot into becoming more aware as believers in this materialistic world, okay, I want to ask you some questions. How would you feel if you suddenly discovered that there was a highly organized network of people hell-bent on destroying and sabotaging your life? Not just you, as a matter of fact, but everything connected to your life, your marriage, your family, your friends, your job, your children, even your children's children. What if they employed a strategy that was multi-generation to launch a campaign of misinformation about you, planting suggestions in your mind and in the minds of others that sabotage your life? What if they sought to manipulate your identity by controlling your self-talk and the voice you hear in your head? What if they cause you to question your very identity and purpose in the world? What if in addition to all of those things, they also knew every single button to push? They knew all of your weaknesses and insecurities. They knew how to get you riled up and get you depressed and insecure and lonely, isolated? What if they knew how to make you doubt the closest people to you, your pastor, your church, your small group leader, your friends, and even your own family? How would you feel if they managed to create the darkest moments in your life, steering you toward a friend group that they knew would hurt you, convincing you to act quickly in the flesh to hurt the people that God had actually put in your life? What if they could convince you that everyone was out to get you pushing you to believe that you are the greatest answer to all of your problems and no one around you can be trusted. I don't say this to scare you, but that exists. The Bible teaches us that there is an army of God, but there is also an army of Satan. And that army is highly organized in the spiritual realm, realm to sabotage your life. And this is important. I don't say this to scare you, but to prepare you. Write that down. I don't say this to scare you, but to prepare you. It's interesting how when you're prepared, there is no room for fear because you're prepared. God's given us everything you and I need to be prepared in this book. If we'll just open it up, lean in over the next seven, eight weeks, I believe he can change our life by adjusting our perspective, by preparing us 
for what's going to come. You and I, we have a spiritual enemy. The greatest lie the devil ever told was that he didn't exist, but he does, and he's alive and active in what's going on all around us. Throughout the New Testament, Satan, or Lucifer as he is referred to, as a tempter in Matthew 4. He's referred to as the ruler of demons in Matthew 12, 24. The God of this age by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. The evil one in 1 John 5. And a roaring lion in 1 Peter 8. What do we know about this evil one? Well, the first thing, we have to be submitted to God and then we must resist. Look what James chapter 4, verse 7 says. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is so important. Leave this up here for just a moment. Therefore, submit. Everyone say submit. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is important. Many of us, we can't resist the devil in our lives and his schemes in our relationships because we refuse to submit. Until you learn submission, you will never be able to win the spiritual battles in your life. As soon as you learn how to lean into the person of God, be submitted to God, be submitted to the house, which is the church that he's planted you in, before you can lean in to the people that he's put into your life, you will not be able to resist the devil. That's very important. It's foundational in everything we're going to talk about. Because at the end of the day, God wants our obedience more than our sacrifice. He wants us to actually do what he says instead of do things for him. It's important. Lindsay talked about this earlier in the giving moment, not in my notes. The tithe is not about the God's house. God will take care of his house. If you won't do it, he'll give me a golden goose. I know he will. Because his kingdom has to go forward. Tithing isn't about God's house. It's about your house. And if you can't obey God there, good luck with your financial life. It's the starting place. The first 10% of your income being returned to God in the local church where you get fed and nurtured. All of a sudden, it's amazing that where your treasure is, there your heart is. Some of you are getting nothing out of church. Not in my notes, I swear. You're getting nothing out of church. You're critical, right? We've been telling you to become a member forever. You can barely show up to serve once a month, right? You're, you're disgruntled. You have a lack of meaning. It's because your heart is not where it should be because your treasure isn't where it should be. It's amazing when you tithe. The people who tithe, they're the greatest people in this church, man. They come in and they serve, they do everything, man. They're just ready to go. Everything God's doing in our church is because of about 12% of the people in this church that tithe. What would happen if that number is 15% or 20%? Again, it's not about the church, it's about you as you're built up into the house of God. I love this because we've got to submit, and this is interesting because we always have a part to play. You guys remember Mo Moses? Remember Moses? Charlton Heston? Let my people go. Him. Look at what he says. He's standing in front of the Red Sea. This massive problem, this overwhelming situation that God led him to. That was the hardest place to cross. You look at the geography. It was the hardest place to cross. Took him to the hardest place. Sometimes God does that in our life because it's in the hardest place that we actually can cry out to him and we actually need him for something. He takes him to the most difficult place and there's an ocean, a sea right in front of him. And he says this after Moses cries out. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? <laughs> Tell them to move forward, to go on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Think about this for just a moment. Why are you crying out to me? How many Christians crying out to God week in and week out? God, I want healing in my marriage. 
right? God, I want change in my life. I just don't want to have to change. If you could just do all of it for me, by the way, you'd be just like the person that the government gives everything to. You'd be just like the family who enables a kid and gives everything to them and never draws a line. Some of the best things you can do as a parent is draw a line for your kids. I won't go past it. You better learn it. It's Alamo, baby. Come on. <laughs> Drawing a line in the sand. That's where it came from. You got to draw a line in, line in the sand. You know, God requires you to step forward because not only, right? By the way, he doesn't do it because he needs you. He does it because you need to. Because you only grow as you go. There is no neutral in life. You're either moving forwards or you're moving backwards. And God always requires, look at the miracles of Jesus. There was always a requirement. Go wash your eyes. Go present yourself to the priest. Stretch out your hand. Get up and take your mat and walk. He always tells them to do something. Stretch out your hand. I love this previously in Exodus 6.1. Before Moses cries out, before they get here, look what, look what Moses, the Lord says to Moses. Now you will see that I will, what I will do to Pharaoh because of a strong hand he will let he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from this land. Look what he says. Then Moses spoke, then God spoke to Moses telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israel, Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring them out from forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue them from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. Okay, anytime you're reading the Bible, real important. The Bible, listen, the, the ancient language, both um, Greek and Hebrew, they don't have uh, emojis. They don't have um, exclamation points. You can't just slam a text. Like, that's, they didn't have that. So in the Bible, when God's trying to emphasize something, when he's trying to get you to see something, you know what he does? Exactly what a parent does when they're trying to get a kid to listen. I don't, wouldn't it be nice if you just said it once to your kids and they listened? No. He has to repeat themselves. And we think, oh, I need something new, Pastor. No, 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 no. I keep repeating the same thing because you're not listening. Right? God keeps bringing you around the same thing because you haven't gotten it yet. There's something missing that you're not getting. You're wanting to go past it, but God's saying, no, 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 you got to get it. Look at the emphasis. He says, I am the Lord. I will take care of it. Moses gets to the, to the ocean like many of us do, and he freaks out, and he's being pressured by people, right? And it wouldn't be the last time. Moses is learning. God's training Moses. He's training him. Am I the one that told you to do that? Yeah, I am. So guess what? Ask me what to do not to deliver. Ask me what the next step is. That's the best question you can ask yourself as a believer. What's the next thing I need to do? You don't got to worry about five problems in the future. What's the next one? Lord, what do you want me to do? Not what everyone else is doing. Not what culture's pushing us to do, but Lord, what do you want me to do? Then learn to obey. Stop asking and act. God, what do you want me to do? That begs the question, how do you know the enemy is attacking you? Many, many times, you know, I'm going to tell you, sometimes we just do dumb things. And, and we're suffering because of consequences. And the truth is, we need the consequences or else we just keep doing the dumb thing. You know, there's loss. There's, there's a price when you don't do things God's way. Right? God loves you. For those of you who are saved in Christ, he knew it, he knew it was coming. He knew how stupid you'd be today. Yes, you know how stupid you were yesterday and how stupid you're going to be tomorrow. He's good. He's got it. But at the end of the day, there's consequences to help you become more like him. 
Sometimes his grace covers those and lets you live, right? And he'll redeem those if you continue to learn. Okay, but how do you know it's actually the devil attacking you? Jesus was explicitly clear on how you know. John 10, 10. He says the thief, another name for Satan, for Lucifer, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Then he says, I, on the other hand, have come that you may have life. That's not just eternal life. In the original language, it means the best life now. It's both. It's not just fire insurance. It's both. The best life now. You can have it to the full. You can have meaning. You can have purpose, right? I think something like 60% of the United States is on prescription medicine. Why? Like a meaning, like a purpose, like a drive. By the way, those numbers are almost no different in the church. Almost none. That's your Mennonite or something. So here's what the Bible says. This is important. It says, okay, so anything that steals from the devil, anything that kills from the devil, and anything that destroys from the devil. I would actually add a third one because this, this factors all a fourth one, sorry. Anything that accuses is from the devil. The Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. And we deal with this harshly in the church. We do. We've started, we've drawn a line. Pastor Steve's helped me, no excuses. It's okay to ask a question. It's, by the way, God asks questions. Do you ever see God accusing in the Bible? Adam, where are you? He had just screwed up big time. We are all living underneath his screw up prior to Christ. Did he, did he accuse him? Did he accuse Cain and Abel? Or Cain? Not Abel, he was dead. No, he didn't. He said, where's your brother? You know, it's okay to ask questions as a believer in church. It's okay to ask questions in relationships. Hey, what happened? What's going on? It's okay to ask questions. Here's what's not okay, to make accusations. We say it all the time. We do, even in the school. Parents, it's, you guys are kind of crazy. We're two weeks in, we're learning how crazy you really are. And then I'm realizing I actually relate to that crazy a lot. So I'm like, okay, let's figure it out. We tell them, listen, you can come in here, you can ask a question about something. You can get clarification. You can lean into something. You come in here accusing, you're kicked out. We're not doing that. Paul told Titus, warn him once, warn him twice, have nothing to do with him, right? Why? Because they're, they're cooperating with Satan. Only Satan accuses. And I'm gonna tell you, this is a big deal in social media world. If you know more about the fall of some church in some state you've never been and some pastor you've never met, you need to stop because that's never the whole story. We have this cancel culture thing. It doesn't work. It's not godly. It's wrong. And you know what? I'm gonna tell you, almost everybody you don't know trying to get you to believe something that doesn't directly affect you always has an agenda. I don't care if they're on the right, left. It didn't matter. It's the same. Does that make sense? Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Everything else comes from Satan. That's what he says. How simple is that? Yes, I'll do it. No, I won't. It's pretty simple. I don't know, that's free. Ephesians 6, 12. Let's jump in. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So we see four levels of organization. You need to understand, okay, the kingdom of darkness is organized. And if God, listen, if you're not ever being attacked, it's because you're not a threat. Remember that. I love being in a military town. Man. I, I learn all kinds of things about warfare. And it's like, I'm gonna tell you, they're strategic in what they attack. Like their strategy and what they're thinking about. They go after the most, the biggest threat first. And this is important because as a believer, you're sitting here going, what do I need this for? Well, you probably aren't doing anything that's causing the kingdom of darkness any harm. Just think about that. When you see other people going through it, when you see churches going through it, when you see people you know who love God going through it, it's probably because, quite frankly, 
they're making some splashes. They're pushing back on the enemy. Ephesians, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against these four types of evil spirits. The first is principalities. Not much is known about them from Scripture, okay? But we do find that they seem to be more powerful than the regular demon. They seem to have regional power and influence. We see this word used in Daniel chapter 10 when the Lord sent an angel to Daniel, but the angel was hindered, right? It was a principality over the land of Persia. Did you know that there are demons specifically organized nationally to keep a nation or a people moving in a direction. God had to send the archangel Michael to battle so that the first angel could get to Daniel and bring the word of the Lord. Next, we see there are powers. These are powers or powers of darkness as they are sometimes referred to. They seem to be more powerful demons actively engaged in trying to stop the progress specifically of the church. This is what you always see. Look what it says, Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authority, Christ made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. What did the cross produce? The church. Sons and daughters of God, redeemed by His grace. We see more of these powers in Mark 5 when Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee. We see the demoniac. Lots of strength, right? Lots of intimidation, right? Lots of indictments. You need to think about that because it's coming. We need to know what it is. Next, you see the rulers of the darkness of this world. This word in the Greek that the Apostle Paul uses is cosmos krateros, and it means raw power. Satan himself is referred to as a ruler of this world. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up on this earth, I will draw people to myself. John 14, 30. I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me. Luke eleven fifteen, but some of them said he drives out demons by Beelzebub or the ruler of demons. You see that name Beelzebub. That's what this is. This is a ruler, right? These rulers of the dark world seem to have abilities to influence or to push people. They're pushy spirits. They're pushing you. You would feel these demons around you, right? I've uh, studied history for years and there's these, these uh, black and white films of Hitler speaking, you can feel the raw demonic power coming off of his lips. There's some other people you can feel that with too, but anyways. Next you see there's spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. This is the fourth one. These are malignant. We recognize them by where they stay. Host of wickedness to distract you from what's important, to get you off the wall, to off the mission. Things you shouldn't be focused on, to immobilize you, to torment you. They're in the heavenly places, meaning they don't live on planet Earth. The prince of the power of the air, the atmosphere is one name for Satan. There's spirit that happens, comes upon people, maybe in a pandemic. A spirit that comes upon people in an election year. People get crazy. There's motivations. Your feelings aren't facts. And if you don't get them under control, the devil will use them against you to hurt not just you, but everyone around you. These spiritual hosts of wickedness also seem to overlap with principalities. You got to remember too, the greatest strategy is overlapping forces. They're all connected. They're all moving in the same direction. By the way, that's also the power of the church, overlapping. I ran into somebody earlier that goes to a, a church in Austin and she was telling me, man, they're teaching spiritual warfare too. I, don't have no, I haven't talked to that pastor for over a year. What, what's Christ doing in heaven? Overlapping his forces. That's what he's doing. He's coordinating the church because like the heavenly armies, there's an army of the enemy. 
This is very, very important. What is clear and consistent all throughout Scripture is that there is an army of wickedness working hard to keep people in darkness and to thwart the plans of God and His people. They will do it by any means necessary. Fear, anxiety, intimidation, distraction, lying, unbelief, shame. That's a big one. Shame. You're not qualified today because of something you did yesterday. The Bible says that's also called condemnation. And the Scriptures teach us there is, there, there, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Are you in Christ today, moving forward and getting better? Great. Your past is gone. Move forward. That's a big lesson. The world will try to say, oh, see, see, see. While they hold no standard, they try to hold us to theirs or hold us to ours. Their job isn't to hold us to ours. That's what the jobs of your brothers and sisters are in the church. We need to get used to being called names. We need to get comfortable with that. They did it to Jesus, and he promised his disciples that if they were really a threat to the enemy, right? They would do it to them. Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. To put on is the Greek word enduro, which means like a suit. The full, meaning that there are pieces. You need all of them. And then finally, the armor of God. Once you put on all of them, you don't need anything else. It's all you need. We're going to talk about these seven parts of the full armor of God over the next seven weeks. The Apostle Paul was locked regularly to a Roman soldier. He would have been intimately familiar with every bit of their armor. He uses right this, 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 this example to teach us the purposes of each of these Weapons. First, you have the helmet of salvation. You have the breastplate of righteousness, the girdle of truth. I like that word girdle because it holds everything up. Come on, someone. <laughs> holds everything together. That's what truth does. It, it keeps you together. You're not fragmented. You're together. Right? You have your feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. And then he ends with what I'm going to call the, sword, the, the spear of prayer. The spear of prayer. Every Roman would have had a, dip, a set of spears depending on what they would have dealt with. The Apostle Paul ends all of this with making sure that prayer is closed up and wrapped up in prayer. I'm going to close by showing you a few things and I'm going to pray for you. Right? And I want to encourage you. Chapter 1, we're going to learn about surrendering this week. Lean into it. Next week we're going to jump into the armor with the helmet of salvation. But first I'm going to give you three foundations of spiritual war we're going to constantly refer to. We're going to refer back to. For those of you that are keeping notes, these are fill in the blanks. For those of you that miss a fill in the blank, they're in the back. You're welcome. Because <laughs> I talk fast. You're welcome. It's there, I promise. We put them in the back for you. You'll remember, the Holy Spirit will slow me down. I promise. Three foundations of spiritual war. Number one, the battlefield is in your mind. This is where the war is fought. This is where the war is fought. For 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since our weapons of warfare are not of this flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. What are those? Arguments. Every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. That's a stronghold. And he says, if we're going to succeed, we have to take captive every thought to, look at that word, obey Christ. Not just to think about Him. Not just to wonder, to feel, but to obey to do what he says. Next, God is with you. This is important. We're going to talk a lot about demons, devils, spiritual warfare, all of that. But listen to me. At the end of the day, God wins. And everyone that's connected to him under the grace of the cross, 
right? The mercy, right? The power of the resurrection. There is nothing that you weren't created for this time in history to deal with. Nothing. In your life, in your family, in Christ, you are enough. We're going to see that all throughout the scripture. 1 John 4, 4, you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them. Look at this. Because the one who is in you, everyone say me, is greater than the one who is in the world. Don't get overshadowed. The Bible says one day we're going to see Satan and we're going to look at him and we're going to go, this is the guy that caused all the problems? Wow, if I would have known you were a little punk, a little mouthy bully, I maybe would have done some different things. We're going to learn how he's all of those things and how to win. And then finally, we're going to wrap everything up just like we're about to start. Prayer changes things. Sometimes you pray and it feels like nothing happens. We're going to teach you how to pray. We're going to teach you how to partner with God. Your prayers are meant to get things done. Look what James 5, 16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person that's righteous by Christ. Righteous person has great, I'm say great, has great power and produces wonderful results. Listen, if there was ever a time for you to just lean in to where we're going, change your schedule. Be here. I believe God's going to impart things to you in person that you can't get on a screen. Yes, you can go to YouTube. Yes, you can watch it online by yourself in your basement. But there's power when you get together. The average person comes to church once a month. Let's blow that out of the water this next eight weeks. I understand there's vacations. I understand things happen. If you're far enough and out, change it. Be here. Let your kids see you be here. Lean in. You're going to learn things. God's going to do something in us together that I believe is going to prepare us for the fall. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in the lives of so many of these incredible people. God, I don't know all the stories, but I know a lot of them. Man, are you moving. You're moving mightily on their behalf, in their workplaces, in their families, in their hearts, in their minds. God, you're drawing them closer to you. I pray, God, they would continue to yield or to submit to everything you're doing. I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to them this week. Remind them, remind them of what they likely already know, but haven't quite grasped. Holy Spirit, partner with them to teach them all the things you want to do in and through them. God, we love you. Father, I also pray for anybody in here from the sound of my voice that doesn't know you. I pray, Father, by the end of the service, they would get their life right with you. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed. For just a few moments, we're almost done. This is something we do at every one of our locations and every service, every time. We create a place and a space for people who are far from God to draw near to him. Maybe you're far from God. Listen, I, I don't need to ask you an awkward question, get a magnifying glass and zoom in to all of your faults and failures. You know if you're playing with God or not. You know. Maybe at some point you gave your life to him, but you're not following today. You know the truth, but you've refused the freedom that comes with it. You've not submitted to God. Maybe you've never known God, but as I've read the scripture, you're leaning in. As you've looked around the crazy chaos of our world, you've thought to yourself many times, something else is going on. The truth is, something else is going on. The Bible says eternity is planted in your heart. You can never be all that God's called you to be apart from a relationship with him. And the Bible says you cannot have that apart from Jesus, apart from accepting what he did on the cross as payment for your sin. Yes, your sin. Acknowledging or repenting, turning to him, putting your life under the power of the resurrection. Only then can you be connected to the God that created you. You can try it a bunch of other ways. 
But as somebody who's followed Jesus for 28 years, I can just tell you, there is no other way. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up, but I do want to pray for you. If you're in here and you say, Pastor, I'm far from God, I don't want to be, and you would want my prayer, would you just acknowledge that by putting your hand up? Is there anybody in here like that? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just put them up, put down, thank you, thank you. That is the first step, but it's the first step of many. It's an on-ramp, not a parking place. If you raised your hand, you really mean it. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right where you're sitting. I want you to say this prayer just loud enough where you can hear your own voice. I believe the power of God is going to meet you right where you are. But he's not going to leave you there. We're going to also give you steps to grow and to move forward. I want to encourage you. Say this prayer just loud. Matter of fact, you're going to be surrounded by believers who are also going to pray this prayer just to encourage your faith. Then you're going to be given instructions. Obey the instructions. Lean in to what you need to know to win in your faith. You've got a whole spiritual family wanting to walk alongside you, but you've got to make the step and you've got to put in the effort. Jesus, I thank you so much for everything you're doing in our church. Church, we believe in what they're doing. Let's pray this prayer together. Let's pray, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are God and I believe you're good. I believe on the third day, after you were killed on the cross, I believe you resurrected from the dead. I believe you defeated death once and for all to give me life once and for all. So today, of my own free will, I choose to make you my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Lead me and guide me. Show me what's next. It's in your name that I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's put our hands together.